I'm going to talk tonight about the Christian moral obligation to pursue happiness. And let me begin by saying it is my belief that part of Christian character, part of what it means to be like Jesus, part of what it means to be a Christian is to be happy. Now, you know there are all sorts of personality type um, tests that you can take. The Enneagram is a fascinating one to me. And, and some people are inclined naturally toward happiness. And some people, quite honestly, are inclined naturally toward grumpiness. Some people are pessimists. Some people are optimists by their very nature. As for me, uh, on the Enneagram, if you know that, I'm a seven which is uh, always looking for adventure, excitement, something fun to do, uh, getting passionate about things. And that's, that's very true of me. I'm passionate about cooking. I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about whatever it is I'm giving myself to. My father um, once, I think he meant it as a little bit of an insult, but once he said, if Ken were to fall into a dry well, he would yell back up, you guys can't believe how amazing it is down here. And, and there's some truth to that. But, and, and so some people are inclined by their nature to be happy. Um, but the point is, every one of us have a nature that has been twisted, that has been bent, that has been uh, tainted, if you will, by sin. And so as Christians, we aren't called to pursue our natural inclinations. We are called to be like Jesus. We are called to day by day work toward change to become more Christ-like, to become more like God. And I would argue, and I'm about to argue, that one of those qualities that we should pursue is happiness. And so, to begin, let me quote to you from an uninspired yet inspiring document, the Declaration of Independence of the United States. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want you to hear the pursuit of happiness. That doesn't mean the pursuit of things that make us happy. Man, I know people that they got to go get this new toy and after they've had it for a month, they're tired of it, so they get rid of it and then they have to go get this other new toy and they're always looking for something or someone who will make them happy. I'm not talking about pursuing what we think will make us happy. I'm talking about we ought to, as Christians, pursue the quality of happiness itself. And so if this is true, some of you might ask, well, then why haven't I been taught this? Why haven't I heard of this? Why haven't the church made that a point? Why haven't I even seen that in the scripture? And so what I'm going to do tonight 
is share with you three words, just three words, three Greek words from the Bible that we have read hundreds of times and not really thought about. The first is the word makarios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, makarios. It's the word translated blessed. It's used 50 times in the New Testament. It's used 41 times in the Apostolic Fathers. So the disciples of the disciples, Clement and Ignatius and Polycarp, those guys talked about this word makarios, this happiness as well. It's the Greek word used 68 times to translate the Old Testament word for blessed or happy or fortunate. For example, in Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But that word is makarios. And it's used nine times in Matthew 5 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Now let me define the word for you. It means freedom from cares and worry. Well, of course, everyone would like freedom from cares and worry. Earlier Greek usage, before the New Testament comes along, it was used to regard, in regard to being rich and the freedoms that that condition creates. You know, when you're rich, you're not worrying about where your food's coming from tomorrow. You're not worrying about paying your bills. You're not worrying about whether you're going to be able to stay in your house or stay warm. When you've got a lot of money, you don't worry about things. That word, makarios, blessed, happy, fortunate, that is the word used to describe the wealthy. But Jesus flips it and says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the persecuted. Because in the kingdom of God, when we are pursuing being like Jesus, in the kingdom of God, our happiness is not dependent on things. It's not dependent on conditions. It isn't dependent on material situations. But our happiness is dependent on our union, our oneness, are drawing close to God himself and pursuing his will and his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you, Jesus said. So there's that first word. Blessed, makarios, happy, fortunate. And I've just shown you it's used a lot. Now let me take you to another word. It's the word in English, rejoice. The Greek word is chairo, C-H-A-I-R-O. We also get another Greek word, charis, from that. Rejoice means to be merry. And over and over and over in the scriptures, we are literally commanded to be merry. Not just suggested, we're told. It's an apostolic command to be 
Mary. Philo, the Jewish philosopher, defined kairos as a kind of religious intoxication. Or, he also said, I love this, a supreme good mood. And so when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, he's saying, have a supremely good mood. Sounds almost like Bill and Ted. Have a supremely good mood in the Lord. Cairo, rejoice, be merry, a supremely good mood. Charis, from that same root. Maybe you are familiar with the word eucharist. Eucharist. The word charis means that which delights, that which makes a supremely good mood. And so it ties in and it gets translated as grace, as gracious, as thanks. That's why we call this the Eucharist. It's the great thanksgiving that we offer to the Lord. To give thanks, to be delighted with. Has anyone ever done something for you or given you something unexpectedly that caused your heart to be delighted? Oh my goodness, I wasn't expecting that. How wonderful. Thank you. All of that is tied up in this word, charis. And so it means also to praise with rejoicing, with merriment. Let me read you a few verses. Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. Philippians 4, 4. St. Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And now I'm going to read you an entire song written by Charles Wesley. It probably will become very familiar to you as I read the words, but I want you to hear what we sing, hear what we sing, because sometimes we sing songs without thinking about them. Rejoice, the Lord is king. Your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. It has like five stanzas, and I'm going to read them all to you. Jesus, the Savior, reigns the God of truth and love. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He, all his foes, shall quell. Shall all our sins destroy, and every bosom swell with pure, sapphic joy. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. In the last verse, rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord, the judge, shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say, Rejoice, not because of the circumstances of life, but because we are in Christ 
and he is in us. And we have an amazing promise of a future and an eternity with him. And now the third and final word, my favorite of the three, is the Greek word hilaron. H-I-L-A-R-O-N. Hilaron. It's related. It seems to kind of mean the same thing as these others. It means to be cheerful, to be happy, to be gracious, to be joyful, to be merry, or to use the old English word, to be gladsome. You know, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver, it's the Greek word hilarion. It's where we get our English word hilarious from. Giving, not like, oh man, oh dang, I've got to give. In the offering, people are expecting me to give something. Oh, this poor guy on the corner, he's expecting me to give him five bucks. And, oh, here, take it. No, doing these things with joy, with hilarity, like, <laughs> here, God bless you. The oldest known hymn in Christianity is called the Phos Hilaron, the happy light, or O gladsome light, or O gracious light. St. Basil, who died in the year 379, said this song was ancient in his time. It's the oldest known Christian song. And it is a song that was used when the Christians came together to worship in the evening. They sang this song as the candle was lit and evening prayer begun. Here are the words to that song. O gracious light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed, now as we come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the vesper light, we sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times. Here's what I want you to hear. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices. O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. So there you have it. Our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people loved and wrapped up in God, our lives, our homes, our countenance, and of particular importance, our worship, should be marked by happiness, joy, rejoicing, blessedness, even by hilarity. Because God is good, and he is very good to us. And that, my friends, is good news. Amen.